I want to invite you to join me in the book of Proverbs 22 this morning. We are currently in the middle of a sermon series from the book of Proverbs that we've just called Building Healthy Homes. And at this point in that journey, we're going to turn our attention uh, both this Sunday and next Sunday to the subject matter of parenting. Uh, Some of you are parents and grandparents. Others of you uh, maybe will be someday. Others won't. And uh, while what I say will immediately apply to parents, uh, much of it will also apply to anyone who cares about and has a heart for the next generation. And frankly, that should be every single one of us, whether we have our own biological children or not. With parenting comes a whole array of feelings and emotions. And many of those are super positive. Uh, They're extremely high. And others are of a bit different nature. Some of these feelings are harder to grapple with and wrestle with. For example, uh, at times there may be feelings uh, of loneliness and isolation. I think especially of perhaps the young mother who has uh, many young children at home. Those years can be uh, quite lonely. I know we've got someone in our family, our extended family, uh, who referred to those years as the dark years because they were so uh, lonely. Perhaps other feelings of anger, sometimes guilt. Uh, There could be a lot of guilt in the parenting world, a sense of inadequacy, sometimes helplessness, other times worry and anxiety and fear for your children, a sense of overwhelm, perhaps even resentment. And maybe as your kids get a little bit older, and depending on how things seem to be going and appear to be going, sometimes feelings of regret. These things are common. And I think one of the biggest ones is the feeling of inadequacy. The feeling of, I don't really know what I'm doing. I mean, I may try to pretend like I do. But when I'm honest, I don't really know what I'm doing or or what to do or how to do it. And yet this is happening, and it's happening at rapid, almost breakneck speed. You're watching your kids grow and develop. Most parents feel inadequately equipped as parents. And guess what? Uh, Not to you know, really rain on your parade or anything, but that's not just a feeling. That's reality. But here's the good news. God has given you himself, first and foremost. And he's also given you his word where we're turning this morning, and he's given uh, you and I uh, teachings, like the teachings of Proverbs to help you. And so I'm really here, I stand here this morning to encourage you and to do that again next week, because with God's help, you can be a highly skilled trainer of your children. Uh, What we're going to do this week and next is look at six T's for parents, the letter T, uh, just to kind of help guide our time in God's Word a bit. And so let's talk first this morning about your task. What has God tasked you with as a parent? What is your primary role and responsibility? What on earth are you supposed to be doing? Well, what does Proverbs 22, verse 6, if you're there, what does it say? I think a a familiar passage of Scripture. It says this. It says, train up a child. Okay, that's, that's your goal. That's your objective. That's what you're trying to do. Train up a child in the way that he should go. So as we talk about your task, you need to focus on training. When it comes to parenting, Proverbs repeatedly uses words like uh, training, teaching, and instructing, and other words that are in that framework, and you see them all the way, all throughout the book of Proverbs again and again and again. Uh, I can give you several examples of this training theme. For example, 
right at the very beginning of the book, Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verse 8, Solomon says this. He says, hear, my son, your father's instruction. And he's begging his son, son, please, please, please listen as I try to teach you something. And then he says, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Myself and your mother, we're trying to teach you something. We're trying to instruct you. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, there he says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. He's instructing. And then he continues, O sons, 4, verse 2, I I give you something. I, I give you good precepts. I'm trying to hand you something really, really, really good. Do not forsake your my teaching. And then Proverbs 4, verse 4, he says, He, speaking of my own father, Solomon says, taught me. He taught me, and now I'm trying to teach you. And this, this, is, this is what I'm trying to do. This is God's plan. And obviously, 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. You get all the way to the end of the book, Proverbs chapter 31, 31 verse 1, and now you have a mother, and she's, she's speaking to her son. And Proverbs 31, verse 1, mentions an oracle that his mother, his mom taught him, teaching. And what's all of this teaching and instruction on? Well, it, I mean, it's just on all kinds of things. Several months ago, uh, you may recall, I preached a sermon from Proverbs called Lessons That Parents Should Teach. And we saw things like this. You should teach your kids to the best of your ability. And perhaps at times those attempts are feeble, but you should teach your kids to fear the Lord and to bow before the word of God and for them to recognize that that this book is king and whatever it says it's right and true and we follow it even at times when we don't fully understand whatever it says about God is right and he is the king and this is our final authority and we're trying to impart that to our children and try to teach them to to welcome correction don't harden your neck welcome correction welcome feedback welcome guidance and to work hard and be diligent and to be truthful and ethical in all of their dealings and to, to try to the best of their ability to choose their words carefully and to view and manage resources well and to exercise uh, purity and self-control to, and, and to be uh, as well as choose good friends to find a godly spouse should they marry. And big picture, I think Proverbs 22 verse 6 just kind of encapsulates all of those different types of things with this, train up a child in the way he should go. In other words, Solomon says, there's a path or there's a road to walk. And there's a definite direction to travel. And you want to the best of your ability to just kind of get your kids started down that path. And walking up on it of his or her own accord. That's the goal of this training theme. We name most of our streets and roads. We give them specific names so that we can remember them and find them. And Proverbs 22, verse 6, references a road. And we might call the road of Proverbs 22, verse 6, when it talks about the way that a child should walk, the road that a child should walk, we might call that road the road of wisdom. Or perhaps a little bit more specifically, to give it a long name, the road of the fear and awe of the Lord. And it's a road that's far, far bigger, though, than just behavior. As we talk about your task, you need to focus on training. 
but we do need to get a little bit more specific. You need to focus on uh, root and fruit. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And as you're turning there, I just want you to think with me for a moment about a, a fruit tree. A healthy fruit or a healthy root system is a key factor to an ab- abundant fruit harvest. And that would be the case really with any plant. Whatever's under the soil is really important to what's going to happen above the soil. And in our analogy here, the, the root system, which we might parallel with your child's heart and the fruit, his or her behavior, those things are inseparably linked. You've got the whole plant. And any parenting approach that focuses on one of those to the neglect of the other is going to be deficient. You need to parent with the whole system in view. And that's what we're going to see Solomon do. It's not just about my son's behavior and getting him to do this and choose good friends and act this way and speak this way and do this and do that. No, it's bigger than everything you see above the soil. It also has to do with what's underneath it. He's going to parent with the whole system in view. One of the big themes in Proverbs is wisdom and skill and living. And I think if you're not careful as a parent, you could read a book like the book of Proverbs and you could get very, very focused on teaching your kids uh, what to do and how to live without ever getting down to what drives that kind of life. And Solomon's going to be very clear. What does drive that kind of life? A heart that fears the Lord and lives in awe of God. It's the fear of the Lord, Solomon says, that's the beginning of wisdom. And when we talk about wisdom, we might even say it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of, of skill and living. You want your kid to walk down this path. But what's gonna drive all that is a relationship with God and a fear and awe of him. So Proverbs urges you not simply to focus on parenting your child's behavior, but also to give special attention to the root system that's going to produce everything you see above the soil. And that is your child's heart. That is the root system. A couple of quick examples of this heart theme in Proverbs. Uh, I've asked you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This is a verse you know. Solomon is speaking to his son, and he's speaking to his son about his heart. This is not just do this, do that, son. He says in Proverbs 4, verse 23, he says, son, keep. And the idea of that word is, son, you've got to guard. You've got to protect your heart. And he tells him the manner in which he should do that, the degree to which he should do that. He says, son, you guard and you protect your heart with all vigilance, with diligence, with intensity. And then he offers the explanation For from it, from your heart, flow the springs of life. And the idea that Solomon is conveying to his son, his son, everything flows from your heart. Everything traces back to what's within. And Jesus, of course, said the same thing in the Gospels. Jesus said things like this, out of the abundance of your heart, whatever's in there, out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth is going to speak. And Jesus also said, from the heart come this, 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 and this. Basically everything. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 15. I think this is a verse that you would know as well. Another verse in this heart theme. Solomon said that folly is bound up somewhere. 
Do you remember where Solomon says that folly is bound up? It's Proverbs 22, verse 15. Where is folly bound up and all knotted and twisted and tightly tied up together? Proverbs 22, verse 15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Uh, As Solomon speaks of the need to discipline an erring child, he recognizes that the problem behind all the behavior that's necessitated the discipline, the problem behind all of that is somewhere in the heart. Solomon is, he's looking at this tree, right? And he, but he recognizes that there's more than just what the eye can see above the surface of the ground. He's addressing the whole system. He's addressing the fruit up here, all the way down deep within the soil to the root system. I suspect that most of us naturally as parents tend to pull one way or the other on this one, uh, just like in golf. I don't know how many of you play golf, but it seems like everybody you end up on a tee box with, they swing their club and they've got a natural propensity to either hook or slice. It's like nobody can just hit it straight up the fairway every time. It's just whoop, whoop, this way, that way. It's just tricky to stay in the fairway. And I think parenting is much like this. We either have the tendency to go this way or we have the, the tendency to go that way. And God wants us hey, straight up the fairway. What does that look like? Well, uh, I guess to back up to those either extremes, either we tend to focus on uh, what we might call behavior modification, the fruit. We want to deal with all the fruit up there on the tree and try to fix it. To the neglect of our children's hearts, the root system. And you'll find some parents, and maybe you're one of them, that uh, they really get their kids whipped into shape, so to speak, quote-unquote. But all they've done is deal with behavior, and uh, that, that's an extreme. That's on the golf course going right or left. Or on the flip side, we tend to talk to our kids all day about their hearts, about the root system, without ever bringing God-ordained consequences to bear upon their behavior. I think it's kind of like this. Uh, You know, your kid is a terror. Your kid's a little Tarzan running around. I know, I know, but we're talking to him about his heart. And it's just been so good. I think he's starting to get it. I I think we're only looking at part of the tree here. There's There's a whole tree, there's a whole system, and the whole thing matters. You need to focus on root and fruit, not one or the other. God's, God has tied them together. We might call the one the Eli syndrome. Eli received a scathing rebuke from the Lord because he did not restrain the behavior of his sons. In 1 Samuel 3, verse 13, God said this, And I declare to him, Eli, that I am about to punish his house forever. For the iniquity that he knew, and he's talking about Eli's sons and what they were doing, because his sons were blaspheming God. And do you know what Eli didn't do? Eli did not restrain them. Eli was a, don't do that, dad. Don't do that, kids. If you do that one more time, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. And, and, and yet he, he never brought his fatherly weight to bear. And, and by the way, by the time that verse is given, Eli is an old man and his sons are grown men. And it, this verse is given in the context of the priesthood. Eli is a priest and his sons are, are serving under him. But I think what we see there in the priesthood, that was, had probably gone on for decades and decades and decades, all the way to the time when Eli's sons were just little boys. And Eli's, don't do that. Hey, if you do that one more time, 
There's just no weight behind uh, Eli and his fatherhood and what he's doing. Eli needed to lay down the law, but apparently he didn't have the backbone to do it. Behavior really does matter, and you don't want to fall prey to the Eli syndrome. But on the flip side of that, we could talk about another syndrome, and we might call it the Pharisee syndrome. We know about the Pharisees, and much of what's said about them, at least in the New Testament, is not positive. The Pharisees were meticulous law keepers. And they held others to a very, 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 very high standard. But that's all it was. It was law and no heart. And in fact, Jesus called them out on it and said to them, you honor me with your lips. You're saying all the right things. And Jesus just said, I'm disgusted by it. You say all the right things, but your heart is far from me. And and when Jesus said that, it's coming from the Old Testament. That's a quotation, I believe, from the book of Isaiah. And the, the children of Israel had the same problem. You're spewing out all the right things, guys. You're doing all the right things. You've got your offerings and you've got your sacrifices and you do, do, do. You perform, perform, perform. But your heart is so far from me. The Pharisees were spiritually dead and Pharisaic parenting is death. Your goal as a parent is not to raise a kid who says and does all the right things. Your goal and prayer should be that they would fear the Lord. And that's where the whole book of Proverbs starts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so that means just practically that you need and want to try to parent above the soil and below it. And you know what? That's going to take far more skill and wisdom than what you bring to the table on your own. You are inadequate for this. And that means what you desperately need is God and his wisdom for this task. And he stands ready to give it. God is not a God who's hiding. God is not a God who uh, has not spoken. God is there and he's ready and he wants to help through the, the thickest, darkest, most complicated times. Big picture, you need a parent above the soil. Your child's behavior and what he does matters and needs to be addressed. And if, if we were to bring a, a gospel framework into all of this and we just follow the whole trajectory of Scripture from, from beginning to end, we see in the earliest pages of the Word of God, we see something that we have referred to as, as law. God gave a law. And he held his people to a standard. And we might go, well, that law, you know, that, that was Old Testament law. Well, the New Testament speaks of the kingdom. And James speaks about the law of the kingdom. And Matthew, the law of the kingdom. God has a standard, and it's not other than, than himself. And God lays before us this law. And he says, this is the standard. I am the standard. Live up to it. And the effect of all that, the Old Testament law, kingdom law, the effect of, as that law is laid before us, we realize that we cannot live it. We cannot attain it. We cannot do it. And really, it becomes the catalyst. It becomes uh, the groundwork, the foundation for the gospel itself. You're right. You cannot do this law. You cannot achieve this law. You cannot attain it. You cannot be like Jesus. It is not in you. You are broken. You are sinful. You are fallen to your core. 
And my fear would be with many parents that they never parent above the soil. They never, they, they never hold out God's standard. And they're shortchanging their kids on part of the message of the gospel itself because they tell their kid, well, my kid has a tummy ache today or my kid's really tired or my kid ate that or, you know, this other kid provoked my child. And we, we take away all the weight of God's standard from our kids and we say our kids are basically good. It's just all the factors around them have induced or produced this kind of behavior. And yet what God wants us to do is hold out a standard. It's God and it's word and, and consistently holding our children to, to something, to, to God's standard and being faithful in that. And I know for myself when I trusted Christ, it was a, at a very young age and I, I look back at that now and I remember hearing, I'm sure I had heard the gospel many times. But I remember on this occasion when I heard the gospel preached and, and my pastor was preaching it at this little youth camp for young kids and I heard the gospel preached and there was a very clear message of sin and the message about Jesus and how he died on the cross for my sin was also very clear and that, that, that he, Christ was received by faith that I turned from sin and trust in Jesus when that message of sin was preached I wasn't sitting there going I, yeah I don't know if that's me I wasn't sitting there when my pastor talked about sin and God's standard. I wasn't sitting there questioning if I was a sinner. And I look back on that moment now and I think about my parents and, and their brokenness trying to parent me, but holding out a standard of some kind that to the best of their ability aligned with the standard that God had given. And by the standard that my own parents held me to in our home, when, when the gospel was preached and it was declared that I was a sinner, I, I knew that, yes, <laughs> I am a sinner. No questions, no arguments. I am a sinner. And the good news of Jesus was so bright and so glorious in that moment. Parents, don't forget, there is a standard. And we need to hold that before our children and be faithful and consistent with it. It is the groundwork for the gospel. You need to parent above the soil. And you also need to parent below it. Behavior modification or management is not the goal of parenting. The goal is not just to manage your household and manage your kids so that everything seems to go nice and nobody fights, nobody argues, nobody punches anybody, nobody kicks anybody, nobody's disrespectful of their teacher. Behavior modification or management is not the goal of parenting. Don't neglect the heart. Earlier this summer, uh, my family went to Canmore for a few days with my in-laws. And uh, after you've entered, I, I guess it would be Banff National Park, and you've driven a ways into the park, uh, one of the first turnoffs is for Lake Minnewanka. And partway down that road, if you turn off to go to Lake Minnewanka, partway down that road, you can pull off and explore what used to be an old coal mining town. There, there aren't many buildings or anything like that left, mainly just the remains. And as we walked around the, the remains of that coal mining town together, our kids were running around. I think I had a kid on my shoulder. I was bringing up the rear, you know, dad, kid on my shoulder. I, I'm just, they're all reading signs and I'm just looking around. Um, my mind wondered what it must have been like to mine for coal there right here in Alberta 100 plus years ago, mining for coal out of the side of the mountain. Basically, my conclusion was, I was really glad that I never had that experience. <laughs> no thanks. I would have been going 
Uh, just, you know, you envision yourself. I don't, maybe I'm just weird, but I envision myself being a coal miner a hundred plus years ago. And I would have been going into a dark, less than safe mine every single day with a lamp. One of the first buildings that we passed uh, in that area was the lamp house. And all these miners every morning, bright and early, going to the uh, lamp house, grabbing their lamp. I would have been going into a dark, less than safe mine every day with a lamp, breathing in toxic coal dust. You do know that stuff will kill you. That would have been slowly, relatively quickly killing me. That's tough and dangerous work. Given, so here's the question. Given that mines are places of both danger and darkness, why would anyone ever mine for anything? And the answer is really simple. Because there's treasure in the mines. There's reward to be had from mining. And as a parent, God has called you to do exactly that. God has called you to enter the mine of your child's heart with the lamp of God's word. And it may prove, I mean, here's the reality, that may prove to be both a dark (laughs) and a dangerous place. And I'm like, I'm not personally the one that buys the whole idea that our kids are basically good because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are born and shapen in sin and iniquity. And you go into that mine, it may be a dark and dangerous place, but that is where the treasure is at. And it's easier to stay above the soil for sure. But don't just parent above the soil, you need to parent below the soil too. God has tasked you with a training endeavor that addresses uh, both the root system all the way down deep within the soil and the fruit, what you see. And with God's help, you can be a highly skilled trainer of your kids. Here's the reality, and I think we need to be really clear on this. There will never be genuine fruit until the root system is alive in Christ. Until God has... uh, regenerated, to use the language of Scripture, until he has made, caused your kids to be born again and made them new creatures, real fruit doesn't show up until that happens. However, parenting both root and fruit is often exactly what God uses in your child's life to lead them there. And yet at the end of the day, that is a sovereign work of God. That is a work that As a parent, I cannot twist my kid's arm into trusting Christ. I cannot make my kid saved. I I cannot do what only a sovereign God could do. And that's a hard pill to swallow. I can't save my kids. I mean, I could try to do everything right, and I, I could really be a good parent by the Bible's standards, and yet it is God who must save my kid. And once that happens, that's when, the, that's when the real fruit starts to grow. But I think it is a reminder for all of us of our great dependence on the Lord, and we'll come to that next week, that you as a parent need Christ. And really, you're going to be a better parent the better you understand the gospel yourself and apply it and live it out in your own life. And so I just want to pause for a moment Uh, Some of you may be sitting here and and your parents, how on earth do you think you could parent uh, fruit and root? How how could you parent your your children towards the type of real life that produces fruit 
if you don't have that yourself. If your own root system is not alive, so to speak, how could you ever direct, help, teach, train your children in that direction? You can't. All you're really doing is teaching your kids how to be a good kid and do right things. But that's all it is. And really where this starts, if, if you're a parent, you, you need the new life that only Christ can give. And I've talked about that a little bit. I talked about my own experience of trusting Christ. But you are a sinner just like your child. And you deserve God's judgment for that. You are dead. And yet Jesus came to make you alive. And he left the glories of heaven and he lived perfectly where you have failed. And ultimately he came to die. And in his death on the cross, Jesus Christ was paying the full weight of your sin. He, I mentioned the law. I mentioned the standard that none of us have met. Jesus perfectly embodies everything about that standard. And he gave his life of perfection for your life of sin and shame and disgusting defilement and filth. And he also paid the debt that you owe for that sin on the cross. He took your death in your place for your sin. You do not attain God. You do not earn your way to God. You are sick in sin and defiled. Jesus is good and righteous and perfect and holy. You don't pay your debt. You can't pay it. Jesus paid it. And what he holds out to you is the gift of cleansing and eternal life and the payment of all your sin, the payment of all your death, the satisfaction of the wrath of Jesus. And what he asks you to do is by faith receive the gift that he's given. Oh, I, okay, I see it. I'm a sinner and you died for me so that my sins could be forgiven and so that I could have new life and all I have to do is take that gift. God, would you forgive me? And I'm going to trust in Christ and Christ alone to save me from my sins. God, would you make me new? God, would you, would the death that's in me, would you make, would you make me alive? It is only from that position that you can ever be the parent that God wants you to be. And I would just invite you, if you have not done what I just described, today's the day. To just in humble repentance, God, I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. I am dead, 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 and dead. And I deserve your judgment, but I see that Jesus is perfect and holy and good and he's done what I could never do and I trust in that. Make me alive. You pray some prayer like that to God in your own words. In simple faith, trusting in Christ and his work, he will save you and make you alive. That is foundational to all of this parenting conversation. The second T this morning for parents, and this is the only other one we'll look at. Let's talk about your team. I want you to turn back with me to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. One of the parenting dynamics that Proverbs addresses, and I would say more implicitly than explicitly, is that parenting is meant by God to be a team effort between a happily married father and mother. It's meant to be a joint effort and united teamwork where mom and dad are singing the same song from the same page in unison. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, and just notice what's implicitly taught and i think once you'll see it you'll be like wow that's really there proverbs 1 8 and 9 
Solomon says, hear, my son, your father's instruction. Okay, you got a father talking to his son saying, son, please listen. And then what does he say? And forsake not your mother's teaching. Oh, don't you forget about mom. I'm teaching you. Mom's teaching you. And then verse 9, he offers um, some explanation. For they, speaking of the father's instruction and mother's teaching, they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. In verse 8, you see both the father and mother instructing their son. And then in verse 9, you see that the father's instruction and the mother's instruction, what do they do? They combine together to make something that's beautiful and coherent. What is that thing that they can bind together to make that's beautiful and coherent? Well, according to verse 9, it's either a beautifying ornament or multiple ornaments that make up one outfit that goes. You know, like it matches. Mom and dad's individual efforts are unified. Their efforts don't clash. They match. And their parenting efforts, mom and dad, are complementary. They are not in opposition, pulling in different directions. And what's the result? It's the kid that wins. It's the kid that gets this beautiful adornment. Their child is blessed and benefited. That is God's ideal. Uh, Similarly, you can flip over to chapter 6, verse 20. Solomon says again to his son, my son, keep your father's commandment. And then right after that, he turns around and says to his son, and forsake not your mother's teaching. In both texts that we just looked at, mom and dad are both in this together and they're backing each other up. In both texts, actually, what we just saw is dad just backed mom up and he didn't do it from the couch. Both mom and dad are actively engaged in this together and they are supportive of one another and they stand together as one unit. And these texts, they're coming from dad. It's dad that's leading the charge. Think with me for a moment about a team of horses. If one horse, let's just set up a hypothetical scenario here. If one horse could pull a cart that weighs 6,000 pounds, how many pounds could could a team of two horses pull together? Well, based on the math, 6,000 times two, not that hard, Pastor Nate, that would be 12,000 pounds. And yet that would be wrong. Because if those horses work together, they can actually pull something like 18,000 pounds. Triple what either horse could pull on its own. Mom and dad have to be teamed together, and that is the picture in Proverbs. If they're not, or they're pulling in different directions, it's actually what's behind them, their kids, that lose out. God intends for parenting to be teamwork. And here we have in Proverbs, God's setting up, and here's the ideal scenario. Here's my ideal plan or your home. And both parents are equally involved. They're seriously united and happily married, pulling together. How do you strive towards that ideal? And if that ideal is not possible, 
And I recognize that for some of you, it is not. You're a single parent. Maybe your spouse has died. Uh, maybe you're divorced. Maybe your spouse has not trusted Christ as their Savior. I mean, there are a lot of factors, and I want to recognize those. In that scenario, how do you put your best foot forward by the grace of God? Because you can. That's possible. Let's just walk through a few different things. Maybe we could start with you, Dad. Dad, you've got to be there. And when you're there, you've got to really be there. And here's the fact of the matter. You're the larger horse, and you need to pull your weight. That doesn't mean your role is more significant. It doesn't mean that you're more important. It means that God has put you as the head of your home, and you need to be there. And you need to pull your weight. And I understand the curse of the thorns and the thistles all the way back in Genesis 3. We're given this, this idea that, that, that the, the man, Adam's always going to be wrapped up in the thorns and the thistles. And no matter how hard he tries to pull away from those and tame them and get them together, he'll never escape them. And the thorns will always be pulling the man away from his family and his house and his responsibilities there. It will be a war a perpetual war that's never going to stop. You're going to have to travel, perhaps. You're going to have to work extra hours at times. These are realities. You're never going to escape that, but you need to be there. And when you're there, you need to really be there. I was speaking to a friend of mine uh, a few months back, and we were talking about parenting, a, a godly man probably in his 60s at this point. And so his, his kids are grown and out of the house. And uh, he was just talking, and he said, that, that was, I should have been there, basically was his word. I was so focused when my kids were in the house, and when I was young, I was so focused on my work, and I wasn't there. And just honest, humble confession that he wished he would have been. And you're going to get older. Your kids are going to grow. They're going to leave the house. And that's not what you want to be saying. That's not what I want to be saying. And you've got to fight the thorns and the thistles. You have a God-given responsibility with the dirt and the earth and all of that. <laughs> and it will be in tension. It will be in conflict. It's part of the curse. But you have got to fight to be there. And mom and dad... Your marriage is more important than your kids, and you've got to fight to maintain and cultivate it. Your marriage comes before the kids. And that may sound selfish, but it's not. You can't give your kids what they need if your marriage isn't healthy. In these verses that we've seen, mom and dad are standing together. They're working together. They're united. And if mom and, and dad's marriage is in a state of disarray and lack of union and lack of harmony, lack of love, lack of camaraderie and fellowship around the word of God, how can you stand together and offer your kids that? You can't. Don't forget about the importance of your marriage itself to the health of your parenting. You've got to focus on that. And also mom and dad work hard to seal up the cracks. Children should not be able to find cracks between mom and dad, right? You've just got to be on the same page. You can't have a dad that's really hard and mom that's no, or, or dad that's really hard and mom's like, she's really soft and they're just not even close, remotely close in their parenting approach. You can't uh, have a scenario, well, well, mom said I couldn't do that. 
But then I went to dad. Dad was like, sure, yeah, whatever you want. Go for it. If you don't work as a team, your children will leverage you to their own ruin. Your kids aren't stupid. They will leverage you to their own ruin. And for those of you outside this ideal scenario that Proverbs has painted, can I encourage you to, you by the grace of God, do your best and dependence upon the Lord. Beg God for wisdom. Strive to be consistent and set a good example. You may feel like you are in a difficult situation trying to go forward, and you may very well be right on that. My parents divorced when I was in elementary school, and somewhere around junior high, I started really giving it to my mom. (laughs) I started really making her life difficult. And she was, you know, their custody was split up. We were with mom, and they were with dad, you know, back and forth on the weekend thing. And I started really, really making it challenging for my mom. And at that point, I was nearly her same size, maybe bigger. And I remember my dad would have none of it. He lovingly sat me down. And I'd say he lovingly sat on me (laughs) more than once. And of course, I had all of my reasons why what I was doing was excusable. And I thought that dad, surely dad would understand here. And I don't think I'll ever forget my dad's firm but loving voice. He's sitting there. I I can still see him sitting on the edge of my bed. And he looked me in the eye and he said to me something like this, Son, she is your mother. And you will honor and you will respect her. And it was very clear that if I didn't, dad was going to be there dealing with me. Your parenting situation may be far from the ideal one. But if you'll walk humbly before the Lord, God will give you grace and wisdom to navigate a very complex situation, all for the benefit and good of your kids and the glory of God. With God's help, you can be a highly skilled trainer of your kids. And Proverbs has a lot more to say about this. We'll consider more next week. But why don't we pause here as we wrap up and we'll take some time each individually just to pray that God would give us the grace that we so desperately need.